Hey there, industrial marketer, and welcome to the Manufacturing Marketer Podcast, a show dedicated to all the small marketing teams working at companies that make stuff. We're your hosts, Brendan Forrest and Mary Keogh, and like you, we both cut our teeth in-house in manufacturing companies. Today, we are senior strategists at Gorilla76, an agency dedicated to building revenue-focused marketing programs for industrial companies. Our aim is to help empower you to get a seat at the table and move the needle forward on your goals. And today, we are continuing our conversation from last week with Matt Chanella. Matt currently works at Refine Labs as a director of demand gen and formerly at Gorilla76 as a strategy director. Matt, we are pumped to have you here. And so last week uh, at IML, we kind of started to hit on this thing at the end of the show about what we would do if we were to go back in time and be marketing managers in-house in manufacturing companies. And I wanted to go into more detail on this episode here with you today. So let's just... Uh, started off like what like what would we do we'd go back in time what would we do differently now that we know what we know yeah like matt um go through like your journey at benzel too like where'd you yeah. start out where'd you end up sure well first off thanks for having me on the show my name oh, is yeah Janella. um brendan you have a great voice for radio like that intro was like i got a great face for it too you were you were vince scully uh <laughs> in that intro uh the what they, what they call it the the dulcet tones Anyway, um, so yeah, geez, when I started at Benzel, I was a marketing manager, you know, like probably most of the people listening to this podcast. And I remember the first thing that they told me they wanted to do, like, was the the trade show, Babtech. Mm, yep. And they were like, well, that'll be that'll be your big project. And then also maintaining the catalogs. And I was just like, okay. So those are my predecessors' jobs, essentially, and then they also did print ads and magazines. So all the all the greatest hits of of of, of marketing and manufacturing space, yep. right? There, right, magazine ads, uh, catalogs, and the trade show, the big trade show, like just greatest hits album, right there. So I remember the first thing I wanted to do was those jobs. I wanted mm-hmm. to because they were my predecessors' jobs, and the, uh, I didn't want to screw that up for everyone else yeah. i was like okay well i don't like doing this but i'll do it and i i remember i spent the first six months of my of the job i started in june probably the first four months of the job um doing my predecessor's job basically full-time and just being like okay let's just get used to this let's get let's learn the products let's meet the sales yeah. team let's hear what they don't like what they do like loose flash didn't like anything but um <laughs> shocker but, but um but you know just learn what they're doing you know mm-hmm. and then like i knew what i wanted to do i wanted to do content marketing i wanted to do paid ads i wanted to do some partnership stuff um i wanted to figure out social media so i knew where i was going to go but you can't get there until you do the incumbent job first and do it well and build trust that you can at least do that Ultimately, they hired me to expand on that stuff. But I told my boss flat out, I started like, look, give me some time to do the job at hand and get used to it. And I will expand it out. So as a marketing manager, I really just wanted the team to know that I could handle that. But that also, that's not what we're going to (laughs) do. Like we're going to do that, but like I'm going to do way more modern Mm -hmm. temporary stuff. So I just waited a little bit to get time to do that. Um, and then once I got, I got, I was able to convince them to get HubSpot. Um, I started to, first thing I started to do was go through a lot of our old articles that were in magazines from like, you know, three, four, five years ago. I was like, okay, well, this is great content. Let's start here with, mm-hmm. um, 
you know, with, with blog posts. And so we did, and that worked well. Um, and then I was like, okay, well, what are some things that we sell and we sell a lot of um, that are you know high dollar value? Like what's profitable for us? What's unique? What's unique of us? You know, what do we, what do we sell that most others don't, or if they do, they don't do it as well as us. And so for Benzel, that was fume extraction. Uh, we had a great fume extraction torch. It's $3,000 a piece. Mm-hmm. We sold a fume extraction unit with it. That was another $5,000 a piece, $4,000 a piece. So you're talking like a, a fume guns, you know, six, six grand each. Right. And you talk about selling that to, you know, 20 stations. All you know, all of a sudden that's, you know, that that's, that's quite a bit of coin at the end of the day. So, you know, those were really attractive deals for us. Uh, and, and there's obviously price breaks and stuff. So, you know, a 20 gun deal doesn't end up being the mass escape me right now. What is that? Um, 20k or something. 120k. So I mean that that ends up actually being about um, you know 70, 60, 60, 70k at the end of the day. You know with the price break stuff like that. But still, that's a big deal for us, right? Plus yeah. the consumables, which are more expensive there. So I knew that you know that's sticky enough product. They're going to stick with it. They're going to order replacements. It will be continuously profitable. Yeah. So we had to look at it that way, and I had to work with my product specialist to figure it out. So we we're like, okay, let's create a guide on this. Let's let's just download it. Downloadable. Let's run email nurtures behind it. And that worked. That worked at the time. It was 2016, 2015. Mm-hmm. You know, that was that was very viable um tactic then. Content as a strategy was was really good. Um and it worked. You know, people people downloaded the book. They were interested in the product. We were able to sell to end users. We were able to get distributors more interested in selling it on our behalf. So you know that product unit grew quite a bit mm-hmm. through effective marketing, even if it wasn't always direct at the end of the day, which was okay. I learned about the idea of direct response and direct attribution way after the fact, but I, I spent way too much time fretting about it then. Um, and seam tracking was another thing. It was, a, it was a robotic thing. So that's what I kind of started doing when I got into the job and then where I wanted to get into. And then, you know, at that point, it was just learning targeting and stuff like that on, on LinkedIn or things like that. And, and, um, and and starting to reach your audience more where they spent time mm-hmm. and presenting content in a way that you could not communicate through print advertisement or anything like that, you know. Um, and if you look at print ads in industrial magazines, they're awful. Like they terrible, they're terrible. Yeah, it's full so, of bullet points. <laughs> yeah, it's full of bullet points. There's there's nothing. Your address, your the physical copy address is, on the there. Copy is terrible. It's basically it's a spec dump. Yep. I mean, it's just it's really bad. So no one is doing anything unique there anyway. So so hence none of the advertising is memorable. So, but we also know that people don't read those magazines. I mean, no one's on the floor doing magazines, reading magazines. You know, they're on their phone in their free time on Facebook, LinkedIn, Reddit, Instagram, YouTube, whatever, you know, spending time on social sites, Twitter. So I just knew I we needed to be there. So we got our advertising there. So that's kind of how I started mm-hmm. um, and how I kind of moved it. Uh, not necessarily what I would do different, but I'm curious to hear how y'all started out and what what you yeah. all you all did first. So, I spent four years as a marketing coordinator at a like mom and pop semiconductor testing company, and I didn't really learn anything there. It was very much trade shows, like make flyers, and then we had an agency that helped us with the website. So I was like, I, I don't even need to even think about the website because I have an agency to help me. So I didn't take a lot of like initiative to learn like it was like this is what i learned how to do in school and there really was nothing behind me it was really just like we just make catalogs and flyers and brochures and that's what you're gonna keep doing 
and work on the trade shows. And we did a lot of trade shows. So it was like a full-time job just running trade shows. Um, and then I got to Graco and kind of the same deal. I was starting my MBA program. So a lot of my like marketing started there. It was like, you know, very theoretical and I was in like branding classes at the time. And so it was very much like high level branding. I was thinking of instead of like, like the mansion, like how we're running it at, you know, refined labs or at gorilla. Um, so that, that was very much me coming in like, there was really no marketing before. It was really just like <clears throat> a couple of blogs. And so I was really trying to figure out like, well, what are the, like, what's the, like, I was trying to figure out content and like, how do I actually create content to get people to want to talk to us about our products? Cause we were in this weird space where it was industrial pumps. Most of them were commoditized, you know, really cheap, um, Asian, um, competitors. And then a couple of American competitors that have been in the market for 70 years. And they're just entrenched with these crazy distributor networks. Um, and so that was a big thing for me. It was pretty similar to what you went through, Matt, with like, you know, we're doing trade shows, we're doing catalogs. Um, and then for me, it was like, do you know how to do anything with distributors? And so it was a lot of like trying to figure out like, how do we get distributors to like have more mind share with them, right? Because they sell like 10,000 products and we're 1% of their portfolio. Uh, so that was what I spent a lot of my time doing. Um, like looking back on it now, I kind of cringe because like, oh man, I could have done so much more. Um, and like, try to like figure out like where my differentiated products were and how do I actually get people to want to buy them? Mm -hmm. So that was kind of like what I was doing. So when I was at Graco, I, I, I came across you, Matt on LinkedIn and then the gorilla team and then Chris Walker and everyone at Refine Lab, you know, and then Dave Gerhardt. And so like probably halfway through my stint there, I was there for two years and I was like, oh man, there's so much more I could be doing. And so I started to try to move the ship and, you know, large corporations ships don't move very fast. Yeah. So for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, awesome. yeah I started out um, at my old job um, as a technical writer. So doing a lot of the materials for educating new engineers that are coming on. So we hired engineers for our sales team. So make sure we had like a highly knowledgeable technical sales team. They came to us with like mechanical engineering backgrounds, electrical engineering, but they didn't know anything about our product, obviously. So, so you did a lot of internal stuff. Yeah, I did a okay. lot of internal stuff to start, uh, a lot of internal education. So yeah, my job was basically to make brochures into a digital platform. So like almost like a e-learning kind of thing mm. um, for our sales engineers. Got really good at that, made a lot of improvements there, moved into almost like um, this was in the research and development side. So technically they were in charge of like continuing education and research and development for the company. So kind of moved over to the R&D side, same boss, because he was like, hey, I think you could do some really cool stuff over here. Um, COVID hit. And I was like, prior to that, was in charge of this thing called the Spray Tech Seminar, which is this thing you had to pay for. A couple engineers would come in and we just could not get people to come because it was like, you know, $1,500 and you're stuck inside for two days listening to like engineers lecture about spray nozzles. It was like, you know, we could get maybe six people there. And when COVID hit, I was like, we got to make this a free webinar. Like, this is what we need to do. Um, doing a lot of research on webinars. So funny. Ran into Matt on LinkedIn. He was promoting his webinar on webinars when he <laughs> first started Industrial Marketing Live. Do you remember that? <laughs> a webinar on webinars. That's like yeah. the, coffee, the coffee table book about coffee tables. That's right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, hell yeah. Like, I'm, I'm getting in on this. Listened to that whole thing, applied it to everything. Um, I started doing with the webinar series there. We started with like maybe 20 people and like half of them were internal employees like attending the webinar. 
and then did a lot of Matt's tactics, both doing organic LinkedIn through our sales reps and then a little bit of paid and got it up to like almost 200 people by the time we ended. Yeah. And then our registration email list was up to like 350. So within like four or five months, I was able to go from like 20 to 350. And that got me noticed on the corporate level. So then corporate marketing started being like, hey, do you want to come out of R&D? Maybe go on the corporate side. And I was like, kind of like, not really, because I had so much freedom on the R&D side. So they were talking to me, talking to me. They're like, no, no, you'll be able to do cool stuff. Like you can do like, you'll be able to do fun things because corporate marketing was cool, but it was a lot of what you said, Matt, trade shows, print ads, um, brochures, and then tons of internal stuff. So like they were in charge of basically running the sales meeting. Did you guys have that? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. God. I, yeah. Of course we run the, I mean, so my sales director ran the sales meeting, a lot of it, but I had to do stuff with that too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like there was like one point where my, what was going to be my boss at corporate marketing was like, yeah, you like basically won't be able to do anything all summer because you'll be planning the sales meeting. And in my head, I'm like, that sounds like the most inefficient waste of marketing's time to do some internal sales meeting when we yeah. could be like talking to customers and stuff. But anyways, went in on the corporate side because I saw a lot of potential to just kind of grow in a career level there. And within like <laughs> six weeks, I was posting on LinkedIn. Eight weeks after that, Matt um, hit me up and was like, hey, I love your stuff. Do you want to come talk about working at Gorilla and the rest is history? Nice. That's yeah. how it goes. Yeah. And you don't have to plan any more sales meetings anymore. Heck no. <laughs> yeah. So that's nice, right? Yeah. So like y'all are talking about like what would you do differently? And this came mm-hmm. up. Um, this came up when we talked about it last week. So I think one of the things that uh I would have done differently at Binzel, and this is this just has to do with experience. Like you just don't you don't have enough exposure, not enough at bats, you don't fail enough to figure it out. Mm-hmm. But I think for me, like I would have been much more account based in the approach. Like, yeah. you know, this is account based marketing was really getting thrown around a lot, like 2017, 2018. <laughs> like, oh, it was the rage. You know, I, I remember seeing Sandra. And along with that was the software with it, right? Matt? So it seemed like it was enormously expensive for an industrial company. Yeah. Yeah. So Terminus was like, you know, really hot then. Yeah. Sandra was doing the talks of inbound. Um, and so we went, so, you know, my president was curious about account-based marketing. I was like, we already have account-based, it's key accounts. It's basically yeah. all they do. Yeah. I mean, account, key accounts is account-based. You have account-based sales, essentially, mm-hmm. at the end of the day. So I didn't really see it as advantageous for us at the time. Although now that I think about it more, it could have been advantageous if we had had a strategy behind it. And mm-hmm. so... The strategy to me it would have been, and I didn't understand enough about it at the time to like put one put one around it. But you know, I, I recognized probably a little bit late how enterprise focused of a company we were, and how we were not interested in talking to even mid sized people. Mm-hmm. You know, we wanted John Deere and all the John Deere plants in the U.S. We wanted Ford and all of their tier one automotive suppliers. Mm-hmm. You know, we wanted Caterpillar and all of their plants around the U.S. We wanted Vermeer, who's a, who's a really big uh, machinery company down in the Carolinas, actually, and all of their subsidiary plants. So, like, we were looking for very particular kinds of companies, you know, yeah, who welded a lot of metal, preferably water-cooled, uh, preferably robotic, preferably produced a lot of fume, um, who had multiple plants throughout the, the continental United States. Like that was of interest to us. 
And we really wanted to focus on heavy manufacturing, heavy equipment. We want to focus on automotive. We want to focus on shipyards, even though shipyards I thought was a waste of time because um, it's just hard to get in there. It's all government. Yeah. So, yeah. so with that knowledge, I would have been like, okay, cool. Let me work with my sales director and go, hey, let's come up with an account list, but not like 20 accounts. F that, you know? It's like, hey, let's find, you know, the three to 400 manufacturing accounts that we want to be in on. Like, we want them to know about us, right? And let's just put that list together, put some parameters around skills or job titles or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's just go out to them in mass on LinkedIn. And then that would have been, and then I at that point, you could have done Facebook marketing like that too, because Facebook yeah. had that level of granularity. So you, you would have had a, a, a pretty good chance to do that well. And then, you know, the other thing would have been, okay, we're going to push fume here. We'll push steam tracking here. We'll push sort of a hodgepodge of like welding of like welding guns and, and other, other things around it here, you know, be contextual. Like, you know, if you're going automotive, you're doing a lot of air cooled hand, uh, handheld MIG, you're doing a lot of uh, laser optics. So very low dollar, very high dollar, depending on whether it's a tiered automotive supplier or it's the OEM itself. And then, you know, on the, on the heavy machinery side, robotic water cooled seam tracking, uh, periphery around that cleaning stations is another one. So you would have been kind of having the, the product bundle to sort of push out to that sort of, uh, to that group and then understanding how that works and costs, all the other things. So like, just, I would have had sort of this really unique key account structure mm-hmm. where I would have gone after them using, using paid ads, using content. And then I would have done more customer research as well. I was late to figure that out too. Um, I would go to these road shows with my sales team, spend a week out with them. And, you know, I was watching demos and stuff, but I really wasn't asking enough questions yeah. at the time. And I really wasn't getting enough time in the room. And I kind of wish I went with my sales director. He was really good at asking questions and figuring out like what they were looking for. And, you know, he, he wasn't, didn't know, he knew, didn't know more about welding than I did, but, uh, but he, he knew what questions to ask. And so he got good answers. And so I should have gone with him once or twice to some of these trips too. But that's what I would have done differently. Yeah. I would have had a little bit more on customer research, a little bit more jobs to be done. I would have gone more of an account-based model with the advertising. And then I would have uh, I would have also, I would have, I would have gone out of our global website as fast as possible. It was just such a hassle to manage it. Yeah. And then it was also such a detriment, I thought, to our business because it was so confusing for everyone. People want people went there for two reasons. They either wanted to get part numbers, which we didn't provide other mm-hmm. than a PDF. And I knew that immediately because I went through the mm-hmm. search engine and I figured it out. And then I just started to add part numbers. And that became a management nightmare for me because yeah. it just took up too much of my time to update part numbers. I couldn't get them to work all the time. Or um um, or, or or they go there to try to get a quote on stuff. Great. But like, you know, we didn't have really good conversion paths for that. So I would have simplified the website significantly, yeah. um, gotten rid of a lot of stuff that we didn't need. Uh, there was my president had way too much say in the navigation. And I would have been like, we, we need to get like yeah. products. We had the, the product pain was so long. It's like, we're a product company. Why do we have a product thing? It's like, just put it on the main nav. Put your, put your resources right next to it and then just simplify the way that people are doing that. I mean, we had all this stuff on the main navigation that nobody was ever clicking through. You could just see it if you looked at the content drill down in Google Analytics. Like, why are we forcing 
80% of our traffic through one part of our navigation when we could just have each of them out, you know, yeah. it just made more sense. Because again, we were a product company, not a tech yeah. company. So it made a lot more sense. People knew the use case, you know, it's a mature market. It's not like a new category where it's like, who is this for? It's like, no, you know this, you work in manufacturing, dude, just right. for, it's for welders and production engineers. So yeah. that's what I would have done differently. I didn't have the gravitas or the stature at the time to do that. And I didn't have the wherewithal around the strategy around a sort of a, really what it is, it's sort of like a scaled out account-based model, but that's what, that, that that's what it would have done. That's what it would have done and what would have happened. The other thing is I would have insisted on getting an SDR. I would have loved to have gotten one and then, you know, have had them work under me. Um, that was something where the company didn't have a lot of confidence in that. They didn't have a lot of confidence in hiring an SDR, which I thought was crazy. And then they also didn't have the confidence to have me manage it, which, you know, if you could argue that uh, at the time, if you wanted me to the sales director to do it, but I thought not having one was nuts. Yeah. So those, those are the things I would have done differently. Some of those outside of my control, but some of those definitely, um, some of those definitely would have been within my control with more knowledge, maturity, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I think I tried to play it too high a level at Graco. And I was like trying to get involved and like work on the website. You know, it's a huge global website with a huge website team. And then me on, at the smallest division at the company, like we need to make these changes. I should have just like gone with the flow there and, and done what I could have done to move the needle on revenue. So my biggest thing was I just didn't do customer research either. I like, it's like, oh, the sales team is telling me what they're saying, but I, I should have forced the hand. And I was also there during COVID, right? So like I couldn't, like they, we weren't really doing any like sales trips and like, I wasn't allowed in plants, you know, like going to a food plant, like no way, <laughs> but I could have gotten the phone with people and talked to them or, you know, gotten a zoom and actually talk to these guys and figure out what, uh, you know, what their deal was and where they're hanging out and got answers to some of those questions that we, you know, the things that we talk about all the time now, Mary, right. Like I just wasn't doing that. <clears throat> um, and then I would have like probably figured out like, these are the, my differentiated products that need marketing help. Cause we like, you know, we had the commodity commoditized products. I could just let distribution handle it, right? Like there wasn't a lot of growth there, you know, it was very mature market. So I could have just let that go and then focused on our new differentiated products. Um, and then I was really trying hard, Matt, to find like to hire a content person underneath me, like a, like a video person. Cause we were trying to do a lot of video and doing like, you know, yeah. video demos and my video skill just was not there. So like, I would take an exorbitant amount of time to do any sort of editing. Um, <laughs> So like having that, I tried really hard and I always failed. So it, was, it fell on me to do that. But um, yeah, customer research, figure out where those guys were and then, you know, try to figure out targeting and then, you know, wrap it into the trade show strategy. Like where are these guys actually at at trade shows? Because uh, I was never going to get rid of that, but I could have done a better job of, you know, moving us into shows that would have fit better with the differentiator products. Um, but yeah, I just... Not talking to customers, I think, really like cut me off at the knees and not being able to do anything because I was just like kind of like throwing spaghetti at the wall and nothing really stuck. Yeah, 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 yeah. The trade show was interesting. Like I wanted to, always wanted to scale that back as well. It was a lot of effort. It was a lot yeah. of fun. Don't get me wrong. Like when the show starts, you have a great time as the marketer because you don't really do much. Yeah, yeah. Grand scheme of things, um, but uh, the setup was terrible. Breakdown mm -hmm. was terrible. Stuff always got lost. It was, it's so hard to keep it within budget sometimes, yeah. you know, if you have, especially if you haven't done it before, if you don't do it very often, like the mm -hmm. first year was just bad for me budget wise, you know, I just, I know what I was doing, you know, yeah. I didn't know, I didn't know how much drainage to order this, 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 or that, or this, I right. popped my predecessor as much as possible, but you know, then, rate, like the union stuff and figuring all that out and yeah, rates you know, change like, every yeah. year and stuff like that. So, so that stuff was all tough and I eventually got it better, but like, I also recognize like the trade show, 
was a live exhibition. You know, it was a chance for people to see your product live where you have trouble doing that in a lot of instances. So unless they have like a lab or something like that or yeah. uh, or a, um, you know, or a, a non-production environment, but they have stuff you can hook up and, and you know, work with. So, you know, for me, I, I, wa- I wanted to make the booth smaller, wanted to send less people, wanted to do, wanted to just demo the high... Like, you know, like the really nice products that we had, yeah. like, you know, get a robot there, do something like that, um, do the fume stuff there. And then everything else could just kind of the fume and an air cool and everything else could just kind of sit static if you wanted to look at it. But like, mm. you know, for me, it was um, for me, I think we uh, we were too married to history when it came to the show, but it was not a moneymaker for us. It never was. And, uh, you know, I could uh, I, I gave them every sort of PL and cost summary analysis that I could around the trade show, just how inefficient it was for us. And not just with the cost, but with the time. Still couldn't mm-hmm. get it. But you know, that definitely was something that I pushed for hundred percent. You know, I know a lot of people push and say, oh, we do great in trade show. It's like, yeah, well, if you're selling cutting edge, cutting edge stuff like cobots and stuff like that, yeah, you're probably pretty busy. Yeah. Or you're doing like robots as a service. You know, if you have a if you have a mature, if you have this new go-to-market model, but if you're a legacy manufacturing company yeah. selling legacy products, you know, you're not you're not having a ton of product innovation right. or then slapping a new handle on something, you know, you're 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 not doing yourself a favor doing the same thing every year at the show. You gotta you gotta find other ways to reach target audience and you have to um and and, and you got and you got to recognize a bad cost when you see it and say hey we could reallocate this into other places and it would work better yeah yeah i agree with that i think hey, my, what about you? yeah what i would have done differently is just i wish i would have had the confidence and then the like to matt's point the wherewithal to tie tactics to strategy so I was doing the webinars. I actually did do customer research a couple for a couple of different market development teams, wrote up reports, um, took MJ's, like I think MJ did a podcast, MJ Peters, if you guys don't listen to her. Um, she did exactly step-by-step how to conduct customer research. And I was like, cool. So I just went out and did it. You know, I was a very like execution oriented. So if I heard a new tactic, I just went out and I just did it, but I never tied it back to like a greater strategy or presented it in a way that was like, this is what we should be doing. So the customer research one, for example, I did it in um, steel pulp and paper. And that was one of our uh, market development teams. Just And I just presented the report to him like, hey, I did this research. Here are the job titles. Here are the questions I asked. Here were the responses. And I expected them to know what to do with it. And I think that was my biggest mm-hmm. mistake. Like I could have used it, number one, to present a greater strategy, and then number two, to persuade them to a new way to think about marketing. So that's what I would have done differently is like less just do it to do it because someone I really like and respect told me to do it and more of do it and then tie it back to something bigger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's a really frustrating thing about like looking back to college. Nothing. None of this was like, <laughs> the most important part about marketing. And that's not thought like there's yep. like, you know, like write a marketing plan, but it's so like, it's so full of SWOT analysis and the four P's. And it's like, Oh God, I don't deal any of that now. No, no one does. Right. Like, so yeah, it's super frustrating. No one gives a toot about your SWOT, right? <laughs> no, one gives a toot. no, I mean, I remember doing a SWOT though for marketing plans, but like what changes in your, in your manufacturing company, what changes in your SWOT analysis from a marketing standpoint year to year? Not much. Not right. Much. 
So you're good. If you're a marketing manager, you're good to do a SWOT analysis. I think if you're walking in brand new, taking 30, 60 days to learn the company and saying, okay, here's what I see is our this, 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 and this. But from a marketing standpoint, as a company standpoint, but it's not something I think you need to revisit necessarily every year on the marketing level. On a company yeah. level, I do think you do um, because supply chain issues come up, right? right. That came up a lot. COVID last happens year. or COVID happened. Yeah. Recessions new, happen, right? There's a new federal regulation that comes <laughs> out that, that makes it really important in your industry in particular. Yeah. So, you know, there's always stuff that comes out that you have to be aware, uh, aware of. But, um, but yeah, I do think by and large, SWOT analysis don't get utilized that well uh, by companies because like we do it, but what action do we take off of it? Well, not much, you know? Right. So- right. It's, yeah. you know, it's a lot of, uh, it's a lot of just doing it for the heck of it. I always feel like, you know, manufacturers in general are very conservative in the way they run their business. And so mm -hmm. even in the face of things that are like crystal clear, like everyone knew supply chain issues were going to be coming, you know, there yeah. was, or everyone knew that we were all going remote and it was going to be hard to sell. You know, these were things that people we're saying for years, like the world's going remote, you know, we need to, you need to have a digital sales and marketing strategy in place. And you know, there are a lot of companies who just didn't have that or weren't putting the steps in place for that for years. And then instead of it being like a door that slowly opened, it slammed shut for people, you know, couldn't go anywhere, couldn't do in-house visits, couldn't be on the road. And it's like, all right, now how are you supposed to do? Well, you didn't have any infrastructure in place to do that for yourself. So mm -hmm. you were kind of, you were kind of caught with your pants down and behind the eight ball. So I do think with a lot of industrial companies, you know, you need to constantly be evolving and looking at how to become a more modern and contemporary go-to-market. Yeah. Um, and if you stay conservative, you know, external factors outside your control are going to hamper you overall. So it's easy to get kind of stuck in the micro, but if you look at macro trends, like that's what you need to be as a president or a leader. That's what you need to be sort of orienting yourself around strategically. And as a marketer, if you kind of see that stuff coming, like I saw uh -huh. that coming, I saw that coming for Benzo. Like, look, guys, I mean, digital's been happening now for years. You guys haven't done anything with it. Your website's mm -hmm. a disaster. You're not on, you're not doing any paid ads. You're not on any content. Um, and it's just like, look, this isn't gonna happen overnight, but we gotta start somewhere. Mm -hmm. I mean, starting from zero. So let's do it and start getting it to start getting it to work. Like no company is going to be an analog company and thrive, in my opinion, in 2030. You know, it's just yeah. and, and I don't care what industry you're in. So uh, so yeah, I just think, you know, if, if you work for a company that's still struggling to come to grips with like the new reality of the economy, especially now as gosh, like millennials, uh, loaded term, um, are like getting into their 40s, like which, oh, like, God, I, don't I, which I will be in a few years. Um, you know, I, I don't really know what you're doing. I mean, I, I, I live and conduct my life online and so do almost anyone else, uh, so anyone else my age. I mean, people who do not do that, uh, are going to be out of the workforce by and large in, in five to 10 years. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Matt, let's, let's get out of the historical thing now. Like, so let's say two to three years from now, what are you most excited about coming down the pipe? Like, have, are you seeing anything, uh, you know, from, yeah, in manufacturing or, you know, are you seeing anything right now in, in software that you think are in B2C that's going to bubble over into B2B industrial that you'd be excited about? I think having an e-commerce component to your company or a self-serve sort of component. I mean, essentially what people should get used to is the fact that 
this the role of sales is going to change probably more than any other role in the uh in the in the next few years to the point where like doing in-house in-person appointments being on the road is going to be less critical than it ever than it ever was and that there's a lot of good things about that but um but the fact is that people are just want as low, just want low touch they want low touch as much as possible so if you're an industrial if you can um if you can figure out a way to make your product self-serve especially if you sell you know easy things like yeah. if you sell welders or you know safety equipment or anything like that you know if you don't have an e-commerce component to your company and aren't seeing that as your most direct means to lower customer acquisition costs um and 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 bring in new customers i mean you're you're joking with yourself because you look at the major distributors out there in the industrial world like you know granger uline you know they have really nice pretty good e-commerce components but if you look at things like welding and gases and things like that like prexair or air gas like their e-stores are terrible like they're just terrible buying experiences and eventually it's it's not like they're not running their thing like Amazon either, where it's like, yeah. oh, you get the shipping or or, right. or you know, like free shipping. There's no membership kind of part to it, right? And it's funny, a company like Granger or uh, or Uline could do that because they are global industrial supply for that matter, because you know they certainly have the means. But if you're a if you sell like a you know moderately configurable product, you need to figure out how to put an e-commerce component of that in place. Mm-hmm. I work with a company that sells welders and welding guns and stuff, and they sell direct. And I'm running Facebook ads for them right now. And great content is key and it makes my job a lot easier. And I have great content because I work with a great content person who is makes hilarious videos. Um, and I'm running, you know, just Facebook ads to job titles. And I, I can't wait to, to get uh, out of the, um, out of the bid cap um, limit I have right now, but you know, we're getting customers that, you know, I think I got 21 purchases on a thousand dollars spend, um, nice. a month uh, purchases, not just as, awesome. yeah. you know, purchases and the average selling price of a welder there is, you know, $900. So do the math on how profitable that is for yourself. So, you know, for me, it's, um, for me, it's just recognizing like this stuff works. You just need to have the courage to do it. You need to have someone who has the who has the vision and sort of understands the the workflow to make all of that work. But like if, if you're not figuring out how to sell direct here as an industrial company and getting out of or at least bringing another revenue channel outside of the distributor model for yourself, you are you're setting yourself up for failure long term mm-hmm. like the, the what do all these distributors want to do they want to introduce private labels they want to rip your product off they want to undercut you on price yeah and then and then they and then eventually the, the only people who will be left to survive are going to be you know the brands at right. the end of the day like the brands that have equity and right. you know the only way you're going to build brand equity is through marketing you know right. you can't knock on enough doors to get that for yourself so you know, marketing is a lever. It's a tool for you to grow your business. It's a tool for you to lower your customer acquisition cost. And embracing modern marketing, which is digital and e-commerce, is the way that you're going to future-proof yourself. It could be your competitive moat if you do it right. Yeah. Um, and that's where most industrial companies need to be 
um, thinking about and working towards. Hmm. I'll agree with that. Hmm. All right. One more question for you, Matt. So new manager, marketing manager at an industrial company, what skills do you think that they should be leveling up right now? The manager? Yeah. The marketing manager. Like there's a lot uh, of different ways you can go down, right? Like where do you think these, these, these younger marketers need to be leveling their skills up to set themselves up both in their current job and then also, you know, for their career? I think you really need to be leveraging and thinking about, uh, man, It's a good question. There's, there's like a bunch of different ways you can go. I do ultimately think you need to rate, you need to recognize uh, and create a framework for content for yourself because mm-hmm. content at the end of the day is the lubricant that makes yeah. everything else easier for yourself. Your sales team can't sell without co- uh, content. You can't run ads without content. You can't get people interested in your, in your product without content. You know, Content rules the day at the end of the, at the uh, just, just rules the world at the end of the day. Companies with the best content win. You know, mm-hmm. Fine Labs has great content. That's why we win. Uh, Gorilla in the manufacturing space, Joe has great content. That's why he he's winning over other agencies in industrial right now. You know, um, I, I don't even know of, of, of many others in industrial. Right. Um, you know, look at companies like, uh, uh, who else does like Gong? Gong has great content. That's why they win. It it does it doesn't have to be like dark social content or ebook download content. Like just great content will just win at the end of the day. Um, if, even if you look at like uh, in the industrial space, like who has great content? So like Everlast Welders has really good content. Um, so that's that's another company that does a really nice job. Um, Weld Tube, those guys have really good content too. I just know the welding space, yeah. but there's others too. But but great content is honestly a differentiator. Most people don't understand what good content is. They don't have the right mindset around good content. Good content has to you know do a couple things. It has to educate, but at this point, it also has to entertain. So yeah. it has to do one or the other or both. And if you can do both, yeah, you m- almost no one in your space is going to replicate that. So if you're a marketing manager focus on good content what makes good content and you're going to realize that by being a student of your customer and that that's that's what's going to that's what's going to help inform you a lot like go look at what uh in some of the the YouTube channels maybe in your industry of of good ones like what content are they putting on go look at the comments and see what the kind of things that they say and go okay well, you know, now that I know kind of the vibe of these people, I can start making content around that. Yeah. But yeah, to me, it's it's still content. Great content creators are irreplaceable, in my opinion. Yeah, I totally agree with that, Matt. I would say there's two things that I think marketing managers need to level up on. Content strategy, you just covered it completely. And then distribution strategy. Mm-hmm. If you nail those two things, you, you're you winning. Yeah, it almost doesn't matter at the end of the day, almost anything else. Like, yeah, and distribution, it can be email, it can be ads, it can Heck be yeah. social, it can be SEO. Like, anytime your president tells you about like any of this stuff, all those things, they're all distribution channels right. at the end of the day. Exactly. You know? Yep. So, yeah, that that's what I would say. Mary, do you have any other questions for Matt? No, freaking nailed it, man. Yeah. Loved it. Matt, do you have any other parting thoughts before we uh, get out of here? Um, 
it's as good of a time to be a marketer as it probably ever has been. This is the greatest era of marketing maybe in history right now. When you think about all the different ways you could skill up, salaries and marketing are going way up right now. That's fantastic. Uh, it is in so many places a necessity and not a luxury. It is looked at as a, as a strategic lever and not a cost sink. So if you're finding yourself not feeling valued in your setting as a marketing professional, there's plenty of places, if you're good, that will gladly take you and value you for what you're worth. Oh, man. Yeah. Good stuff, Matt. Thanks so much for joining us today. This is fun. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, miss you. <laughs> we miss you. <laughs> <laughs> well, so everyone, this was uh, our t episode for the Manufacturing Marketer today. Um, make sure you join us. We have a uh, bi-weekly event that Matt actually started, uh, Industrial Marketing Live. He joined us last week. Uh, you should have caught that episode in your feed. Um, our next one's coming up. Oh, this gets, gets weird this month, right, Mary, with Thanksgiving. So it's coming up like the second Tuesday, I think, of November. Just yeah. check your emails. It's, the dates will be in there. Peyton's good about sending emails. So yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, register there. So industrialmarketinglive.com is where you can register for the Zoom. Otherwise, hit me and Mary up and we'll get you, uh, we'll get you into it. Mary, let's hit them with the Slack. Heck yeah. So if you guys are interested in what we're presenting here, you've seen Industrial Marketing Live, you're into the community. We also have a Slack channel where we have, is it almost 100 now? Is it 100? I'm looking right now. I'll report back here. 100-ish industrial marketers in this community. And we talk and troubleshoot. And 99 people. 99. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, do marketing therapy, anything you guys need. That community is awesome. Again, if you're interested in that, hit Brendan or I up on LinkedIn and we'll get you in. Matt, how can people uh, read more about your stuff and what you're doing? Yeah. I mean, follow me on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm as active there as I can be. You can also find me on TikTok. I try to do, I'm trying to do more stuff there. So it's at Matthew Chanella three, the number, because I've lost a lot of my TikTok accounts over the years. Um, follow <laughs> Refine Labs. Uh, I've had a couple episodes on stacking growth. Uh, we have this really cool product called the Vault, which is like our IP warehouse. A lot of great strategies, tactics, um, rolled up sort of aggregate metrics as well for, for people wanting to benchmark more, more for software than for manufacturing. But if you're in a recurring revenue space in manufacturing, it actually would be really useful for you. So just something to consider there. Um, and yeah, follow the Refine Labs team. You know, everyone follows like Chris Walker, but Ashley Lewin and um, Stacking Growth Podcast. Man, great. You guys are doing such a good job on that. It's awesome. Stacking Growth. Stack yeah. Growth. Good. Yeah. yeah. Sydney's, Sydney's also good. So there's, there's plenty of people on Refine Labs out there posting content. Victoria Sakal is another one. I, I, I like what she does thought too. So, and also Todd Klosser, my, 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 best, my best friend in the world. Yes. So yeah. Follow, follow us. All right. Well, awesome. Thanks, Matt. All right. That's it. So we'll catch you all later. Bye.